0: Now look, my message today, I'm doing a series on last things, eschatology, a study of the end times, this is the third message. In the the first message, I gave some ideas about why I wanted to do this series. Now I want to reiterate one of the things right now. One of the reasons is this, I believe that this prevalent dispensationalism that is rampant in our land, rampant in Hollywood, that would have us believe that Israel and the people of God, Israel and the church, rather, are two separate peoples of God. This idea that Israel has Their set of promises, and their covenants, and the church has its own promises. One of the reasons that I've wanted to do this series is to convince you you're not stepchildren. I want to convince you that every single thing in the Old Testament, that a Jew can open up their Bible and say, that promise is mine. Did you see that last song we sang? Do you see how many of the verses were quoted out of the Old Testament? Even Hebrews 13.5 is not originally in Hebrews. That's a promise made to Joshua. That's a promise made several times in the Old Testament. How many times Deuteronomy, Isaiah. Do you know what that songwriter believed? He believed that we as Christians can sing those promises that were made to Israel. He believes what I believe. That song comes out of the old Baptist hymnals. I want you convinced that these promises, I want you convinced that the promises in Scripture are yours. I want you to read the Bible in a new light. Today part 3 who is true israel Now I want to I want to read this quote to you again I read I've read it the last 2 weeks but I want to I want to read it or I I read it last week John MacArthur quote Remember this quote Get Israel right and you will get eschatology right Get Israel wrong and you will never get eschatology right and you will never get Israel right unless your hermeneutics is right. Now I want you to think about this. Hermeneutics, that that has to do with Bible interpretation. How, How we interpret our Bibles. Eschatology, that's a study of last things, the end times. Get Israel right, you will get end times right. Get Israel wrong, you will never get eschatology right. You will never get Israel right unless your hermeneutics is right. Unless the way you interpret your Bible is right. So that's what I want to look at. I want us to get our hermeneutics right. I want us to get Israel right. I want us to get our whole eschatology right. And, and I, I would go even one step further than MacArthur. Get your eschatology right, and you will find that that eschatology highly, highly honors Jesus Christ over against this eschatology that actually would say, seriously, we're going to reinstitute Old Testament worship. Seriously, we're going to rebuild a temple. We're going to go back to animal sacrifices. That is honoring to Christ? Hardly. That that would paint a picture of something insufficient in Christ, so we need to go back to shadows to point to something even better. So this is part three of our study of last things. I'm calling this sermon, Who is True Israel? Now, the place I want to start this morning is in Isaiah. So go open your Bibles to the prophet Isaiah. Remember, we're talking about who is true Israel. And I know a lot of you, you're probably thinking, okay, well, I know where I would go. I'd go to Romans 2. I'd go to Ephesians 2. I would, I would go to Philippians 3. I would, I would you know, you, get, you have an idea about uh, Romans 11. You, maybe in your mind you're thinking, well, if I was going to do a. a a message on trying to prove who the true Israel is that's that's where I'd go and if you were dispensational you'd probably go to the old testament somewhere and you try to you you'd quote from there but i'm going to take you to isaiah and and here's what i want you to do i'm going to read isaiah chapter 42 the first 7 verses Isaiah 42, I'm going to read the first seven verses. And what I want you to do is simply ask yourself this question. Who is this speaking about? So there's a test here. Because this is what you do when you open your Bible and you're reading devotionally. This is what happens when you have to wrestle with Scripture. You're asking. Hopefully, you're asking questions all the time. That's the way you want to read the Bible. Asking questions. What does this mean? What is this about? How does this impact my life? What does this say about Christ? What does this say about the church? What what is this speaking? What does this tell me about the character of God? We need to be asking questions like that. So let's ask ourselves this question. Who is this speaking about? Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant. Okay, God is speaking to us and He says, Behold My servant. Okay, who is this servant? My servant whom I uphold, My chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put My Spirit upon Him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up His voice. What does that mean? It means when He comes, there's no trumpet being sounded before Him. He's not coming shouting, look at me! Look at the crown on my head. Look at the, the family I was born into. There's no trumpet being sounded before this servant. doesn't lift up his voice or make it heard in the street a bruised reed he will not break a faintly burning wick he will not quench or the smoking flax what's this a picture of this servant those who are weak he's tender with those who have but a little life that's what a faintly burning wick It's just a little heat. It's just weak. A little light. A reed. It's such a fragile plant and this one is already bruised. It's already bent. This is a picture of the servant dealing tenderly with the weak, the oppressed, those with doubts and fears. This servant doesn't despise such people, but he graciously considers what they are. They're they're just a broken reed. They're just a smoking wick. This servant is very tender toward those who have a bit of smoke. The slightest signs of true grace, though they're but weak, He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. The coastlands wait for his law." This servant has a law. He's got commandments. And they are worth waiting for. They're good. There's anticipation. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it in spirit to those who walk in it. Now notice what's been happening up till now. God has been speaking to us, telling us to behold His servant, and describing that servant to us. Now, God the Lord, Yahweh, He speaks to the servant himself in verse 6. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness, Brethren, who is this servant? How do you know? How do you know that's Jesus? How can you be sure? I well, mean you could say, you could say, well, because it sounds like it's him." And you know what? That's, that's a good answer. But how about this? How about because Matthew tells us it's Him? Matthew quotes. Matthew quotes some of these verses, verses 1 through 3, and says, indeed, that this is Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to do turn to Isaiah 49. Brethren, Isaiah, Isaiah. It just gives us, in my estimation, the most glorious pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Just wonderful pictures. Isaiah 49, again, I want you to ask this question, Who is the me in these verses? You see, what's interesting, in Isaiah 42, the Lord tells us about His servant, and then the Lord speaks to His servant. Here, the servant is speaking. Isaiah 49 verse 1, Listen to me. O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb." You see, the me is different from the Lord. Two different persons here. "...The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. You see that? When Jesus Christ is portrayed in Scripture, a two-edged sword comes forth from His mouth. In the shadow of His hand He hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In His quiver He hid me away. He said to me, now notice this, You are my servant. You see? It's the servant. He said to me, The me here is the servant. He's the one speaking to us. You are my servant. That's what God said to the me. And then he calls him Israel. In whom I will be glorified. This is what God is saying to the servant. You are my servant Israel. In whom I will be glorified. But I said, and notice this: the Israel here is not a nation, it is not a people, it is an individual. But I said, I have labored in vain. Is that something Christ would say? Listen. Did Jesus not say, how often I would have gathered you? Did Jesus not say in Matthew 11, woe unto you, Capernaum, woe unto you, Bethsaida, I've done so many works in your sight. You have not repented. How often I would have gathered you, he says. Done so many miracles and so few have repented. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord. Oh, he came to his own in his own. Received him not. My recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. See, that's what this servant is all about. Bringing Jacob home. Gathering Israel. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth." brethren." Who is the true Israel? You see, as soon as we start talking that way, some of you are thinking, we are. Brethren, the true Israel is Jesus Christ. He is Israel. He is the true God-wrestler. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter chapter 2, we know that Jesus Christ has been born. We know that there were these wise men, the Magi. They came from the east. And why did they come? Because the star had led them. And they came. And we know that they came to Jerusalem. And we know that they came before Herod. And we know that they said we have seen His star. And you know what happened? I am want to pick up reading in verse 13. Matthew 2, 13, Now when they had departed, these are the Magi, they departed from Herod. Or actually, this is when they had departed from the child. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt." Did you know that? Did you know Joseph and Mary took our Lord Jesus Christ as a child? And they fled to Egypt. They departed to Egypt, verse 15, and remained there until the death of Herod. Now notice this. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Seriously, this this is a fulfillment of prophecy. What prophet? What prophet? I'll tell you what prophet. There's only one place in the Old Testament where this is said. It's found in Hosea chapter eleven, verse one. Here Matthew says, "Out of Egypt I called my son." Matthew says that has to do with Jesus Christ. Go to Hosea 1. Because I want you to see exactly what Matthew is led by the Holy Spirit to identify as fulfillment of what the prophet had spoken. Hosea 11.1 When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. What's with this? Is Matthew confused? Matthew says this is speaking about Jesus Christ. And yet, Hosea is clearly speaking about Israel. Why does he seem, why does there seem to be Almost confusion about which it is. Brethren, Israel is not only a type of Christ, but Jesus Christ is Israel. He is Israel. I, I want you to think here, brethren. Turn turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Because that's where the Apostle Paul tells us about what a true Jew really is. And I want you to see, Jesus Christ is really the only true Jew. Romans chapter 2 verse 25. Paul, Paul is undoubtedly, undoubtedly, he is painting a picture here of a Gentile who is a true believer. He's undoubtedly speaking about, not something that's just hypothetical. He's speaking about Gentile Christians. But I want you to see what he says about who a true Jew is. And even though we would say, because we're headed somewhere, obviously the church, is a continuation of the true Israel found in the Old Testament. And obviously, there is a true Jewishness that can be ascribed to us as believers and we're headed there. I mean, we're, we're moving in that direction. But what I want you to see first is Jesus Christ is the true Jew. Jesus Christ is the true Israel. Jesus Christ is the true offspring of Abraham. Notice notice what Romans 2 says. Verse 25, "...for circumcision indeed is of value..." Paul's talking to Jews. In the verses before, you can see these Jews are breaking the law of God. They're bringing reproach upon God. They claim to be the people of God but they're breaking God's commandments. And in in verse 25, Paul says circumcision, which is a mark, it's an outward mark of being a Jew. Circumcision is an outward mark of being physically a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what circumcision is. Circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Notice that. If you're a Jew and you're circumcised, but you don't obey God's law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. You become not a Jew. You have to recognize what he's saying. If you don't obey, you become not a Jew. You really need to, we need to grasp that. So if a man who is uncircumcised, and what Paul has in mind here is an uncircumcised man, he's talking about a Gentile obviously, somebody that's not a Jew. If, if he keeps the precepts of the law, and by the way, that's what the book of Romans is all about. It's about the obedience of faith. He starts the book, he ends the book, the obedience of faith. The righteous requirement of the law. Love is a fulfilling of the law. That's what God does. Can we continue in sin? No. We're made alive in Christ. Sin no longer has dominion. We're no longer slaves of sin, we're slaves of God. Sanctified. We bear fruit. That's what Romans is about. It's about about a life that is transformed. It's about the obedience of faith. That's what he's talking about here. But, But notice this. If, if you have this uncircumcised Gentile, and the idea here is he gets saved. How do we know that? Because he has the Spirit. We see that in verse 29. This is life in the Spirit. And what happens? He becomes obedient. Isn't that? Been, we were going through 1 John. If you say that you know him and you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. You see regeneration, new creations in Christ. That's the idea here. If you, have a, if you have this uncircumcised guy, he keeps the precepts of the law. Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? You see what, what he's talking about? He's saying in the truest sense, what we do and how we relate to God's will shows everything about what we really are. Then, he who is physically uncircumcised, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code." What's the written code? That's the Old Testament. It's the law. They they have the commandments in written form. And right? That's, That's what the Jews had. The Jews had the oracles of God. They have the written code. And they have, uncircum- they have circumcision. But if they're breaking the law, then what? They're going to get condemned by the one who doesn't have those things, but keeps the precepts of the law. And, and the reason for all this, verse 28, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. No one is a Jew who is a Jew. That's what he's saying. No one is a Jew who is a Jew outwardly. In other words, outward Jewishness, being ethnically Jewish, means nothing. That's what he's saying if you just ignore God's will. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. Even if you don't have outward circumcision or outwardly have the written code, you are a Jew if you are one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man but from God. All of this is about true Jewishness. True Jewishness has to do with three things here. One, it has to do with God's law. Two, it has to do with the heart. And three, it has to do with the spirit. You do not want to miss that. To be a Jew outwardly, it's just to be physically born, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's to be circumcised in the flesh. It's to possess the written code and not keep the law of God. That's to be one only outwardly. You have the written code, but you don't keep it. You have the written code, but you don't do the law that's in it. And it's not just gritting your teeth. It's doing it from the heart. It's delighting in it. It's delighting in God's will from the heart. It's being led by the Spirit. Being controlled by the Spirit. That's the idea. That's what it is to be a Jew inwardly. Brethren, even in the Old Testament, When God defined what it was to be a Jew, or to be Israel. Listen, don't turn there, but just listen to God speaking to Israel in Exodus 19. This is very close to where the Ten Commandments were given. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. He said this, If you will indeed obey My voice, and keep My covenant, you shall be My treasured possession." You see, a lot of people would look at the nation of Israel and say, in a unique way, they are God's people. But God said this even back in Exodus. You will only be My treasured people. You will only truly be My Israel. if. You obey My voice and keep My covenant. Then you shall be My treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is Mine, and you shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." Now you know what, if you jump forth, the prophet Jeremiah would say this, listen to this, This command I gave them. This is God speaking about Israel. This is the command I gave them Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels, and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward." You know, there's a very interesting text. In one of the Psalms, Psalm 73 to be precise, The psalmist says this, truly, God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. The Israel, the true Israel, are the pure in heart. It's always been the way. It's always been the case. True Israel. Israel pure in heart such is the true israelite do you recognize that there has only ever been one true jew by those definitions only one who has kept the precepts of god's law unflinchingly day and night, evening and afternoon, when young, throughout life, growing into adolescence, becoming a young man, without exception, without blemish, there has only ever been one true Israelite, only one, Only one brethren ever set their foot in this world and kept every commandment of God as God desired them to be kept. There is only one who has ever come who looked at sin and said, I don't know what you are. You're foreign to me. Only one who from the heart, from the heart, The fullness of the Spirit laid upon Him in perfection. Only one has ever faced every single circumstance in life, every single trial in life, every single temptation in life, and walked away spotless. That's what it is. Pure in heart. That's what it is to be a Jew. There's only ever been one. Even us who are grafted in and borne up by this root. Even us, brethren, your inclusion is not by your perfect precept keeping. It's only by faith in the true Israelite. That's all it ever has been. There's only in the truest sense ever been one Jew, one offspring of Abraham. Paul hits on this, Galatians chapter 3, turn over to Galatians chapter 3, all brethren, Only one has ever come who from the heart could say, Behold, I have come to do Your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll. Only one who could say, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Only one who has ever come who could say, Prince of this world, He's coming. He has nothing in me. Oh, in the purest sense, He is Israel. Notice Galatians 3.16. Oh, what could be said? We can only just lightly cover this. But Galatians 3.16, now the promises were made To Abraham and to his offspring. What promises? We're talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Brethren, you may not know much about the covenant that was made to Abraham, but it was a covenant that had to do with blessing. It was a covenant that had to do with life. It was a covenant that had to do with land. In fact, don't just listen to me. Stay parked right there. I want to read to you the Abrahamic covenant. Just so nobody's in the dark here. What promises made to Abraham? I don't know about any promises made to Abraham. Okay, well let me tell you what they are. They're they're restated various times. But this is this is a good summary of the covenant of promises made Abraham, Genesis 17, 7, I will establish my covenant, this is God speaking to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. And so you get this picture, his offspring. Oh, all all his children and grandchildren, great grandchildren, and on and on and on. That's who I'm going to make my covenant with. That's what it sounds like. I will establish my covenant between me and you, Abraham, and your offspring after you throughout their, that sounds plural to me, and it is, throughout their generations. Who's the there and who's plural here? Well, his offspring. Speaking of many offspring. Throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Now you gotta to need to get this. This is forever. This is a covenant you want to be part of because it's it's forever. The promises here are good. The promises here. Well, let's see what they are. Here's the first promise to be God to you. That's that's it. That's the treasure of all treasures, to be God to you. He's my God. He's mine. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you, and to your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. Whoa. You get land forever, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep My covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is My covenant which you shall keep between Me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Sounds like it's speaking to the nation of Israel to me. An everlasting, boy, he likes to use that. It's an everlasting covenant, it's an everlasting covenant. This shall, shall be a covenant, be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. You're going to get some land and it's an everlasting possession. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. That's the covenant that was given. He will make him a blessing. We could read some other places. He, he's going to make him a blessing to the nations. But you get an idea about the covenant there. And so, okay, here we are in Galatians 3. Now, the promises. Let's let's see what Paul has in mind when he's speaking about these things here in Galatians. Galatians 3.16 is the point of our attention. The promises were made to Abraham. And what promises? Look at verse 14. The blessing of Abraham. You get a blessing of Abraham. Verse 11, The righteous shall live by faith. There's life here. There's life, there's blessing over against... Verse 10, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, "Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. You have cursing, you have blessing. If you're cursed, it's death, over against life that's promised. Notice, notice Galatians 3:16. The promises of this life and this blessing, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Now, I just read to you from Genesis 17 where offspring is stated repeatedly. I will establish My covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. He repeatedly talks about their offspring. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings as an everlasting possession. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Keep saying that. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he and who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So there's the covenant made with Abraham and to his offspring. Now Paul says this, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ, You know what he does? You know what Paul does in the light of the New Testament? He clears away all the posterity of Abraham. All. All of the offspring. He clears them all away except for one. He says, it's not plural. It's not offsprings. That's not what's in view and the Abrahamic covenant, and all those promises given, just clear it all away. There is only one Jew who matters. When it comes to Abraham's offspring, there's really only one true offspring of Abraham. And notice, who gets the promises here? I mean, if you, I mean, if you just want to be honest with verse 16 you just read 16 all by itself, and you said, that's all we had, the, promise, the promises, and you, you knew, well these promises have to do with life, these promises have to do with blessing. They're made to Abraham and to his offspring, that offspring is Christ. And if we're going to be honest, it sounds like Abraham and Jesus Christ are the only ones who escape the curse of verse 10. Curse for not doing everything that's written in the book of the law. It seems like the promises here are only to Abraham and Christ. That's what it seems like. It seems like only Abraham and Christ get God's promise of blessing. The blessing is in verse 8. Life is in verse 11. It seems if you just read verse 16, no one else gets these promises regardless of whether you're outwardly Jewish or outwardly Gentile. It looks like everybody but Abraham and Jesus are excluded from God's promises. That's what it seems like just in that verse, until you get down to verses 28 and 29. Now I know there's a lot of other verses here that lead us in the same direction, but just notice verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Brethren, I want you to understand something, when it comes to Abraham's promises, when it comes to Abraham's covenant, whether you are Jew or Gentile makes no difference. In God's sight, it does not matter. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Ethnicity does not matter. There is neither slave nor free. Your social standing does not matter. There is no male and female. Your gender does not matter. For you are all one in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. Here's what we need to see. In Him, We're one. We're all one with him. What he is, we're entitled to. What he has, we have. The name he bears, we bear. The blessings he gets, he gets, we get. We are one with him. He is the head. We are the body. He is the true Israelite. He is the true offspring of God. Abraham, we get what he gets. We get grafted in by embracing Him. It is only Him, the head, that we are the body. It is only in Him that we have the blessings that He has purchased. He is the true Israelite. If we would enter into that realm, it is by faith in Him. Notice, you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. There's only one thing that matters. Are you in Jesus Christ? But you say, wait, wait, hold on. Hold on though, when you, just, when you read that from, from Genesis chapter 17, it did not sound like it was speaking to just one single person. And we would say, that's right. It does not sound that way. But what you need to recognize is, Paul clears all of it aside and he says the only one that matters is one of those offspring. And the promises are in Him. And yes, there will be a blessing among the nations, and there will be a number that nobody can number, but it is only going to be by your attachment to Christ by faith. It is only embracing Him. You are only entitled to what Christ earned in these promises if you trust Him by faith. And if you do, you yourselves are made Offspring of Abraham. Offspring of Abraham is a synonym for Israel. It's a synonym for Jew. You are brought in, you are grafted in. But you know, the thing for us to recognize is the greatest reality about Israel is that Jesus Christ is the true Israel. We only become such by faith in Him. We're only grafted in by faith in Him. And the natural branches, they only stay in the tree by faith in Him. That's what we find. Brethren, Say doesn't, this doesn't seem clear when you go back and read the Old Testament. And you know what I would say to you? You're right, it doesn't. And you know what? The New Testament writers don't believe that it was really clear. How do I know that? Because in Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul says, it was a mystery. The mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs. You see, this idea that the Gentiles, that that all these promises, actually included us as Gentiles was a mystery. You say, it sounds like it was given to ethnic Israel, but you have to recognize this, even in the Old Testament, God only promised that you were truly Israel if you kept His commandments and obeyed His voice. And Jeremiah says they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Even Moses didn't enter Canaan because of his own sin. The fact God did not annihilate Aaron after the incident with the calves is amazing. There's only been one true Jew. And now as Gentiles, we can become Jewish in the way, in the deepest ways, the ways that really matter to God, by faith in Jesus Christ. And and I'll tell you this, Paul, he he can look at these Gentile believers over at Philippi, and he can say, we are the true circumcision. Who? The ones that boast in Jesus Christ. He can say to the Romans, true Jew, doesn't have to be outwardly circumcised, circumcision is a matter of the heart. He can say, at one time you Ephesian Christians, at one time you were separated from Christ. You were aliens, alienated from the commonwealth or from the citizenship of Israel. They were strangers to the covenants of promise, they had no hope, and they were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles who were once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Guess what? If that's happened, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. What were we alien to? Israel, no longer aliens. You are now fellow citizens. That means you are in the commonwealth. That's what commonwealth is about, citizenship. And you are members of the household of God. You are not foreigners. Paul tells the Romans in Romans 11 that there is a tree. One tree, not two trees, not two separate people, there is one tree. And we as Gentiles, yeah, we're a wild, we come from a wild olive tree. But we've been grafted in. Their root sustains us. They're cut out by unbelief. We're grafted in by faith. Brethren, I just want to end with this. Do you, well, I want you to see it. Turn turn to Revelation 3. I I want you to feel this. Because you know what I want you to do? I, I would love for you all to go home and read Isaiah cover to cover. Isaiah 1, Isaiah 66, all the way through. And every good thing, every promise, every blessing that is promised to Israel Take it for yourself. That's what I want you to do because that's what you should be doing. Dispensationalism, this whole idea that there are two peoples of God and that Israel has their promises and the church has their promises. It steals away so many promises from the people of God, from the church, from the Gentile church. We are not inferior. In fact, I want you to see something. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 9, you have one of those churches that is described in scripture. It's just being so healthy. One we want to be like. Philadelphia. Notice what is said in verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Now you have to stop right there. There was no synagogue in Philadelphia that said synagogue of Satan. John, well, our Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about an actual Jewish synagogue that was there in Philadelphia. It's our Lord who says it's of Satan. Why? because the messiah had come these jews did not accept and receive their messiah so he calls them a synagogue of satan that's who their father is who say they are jews that well they were outwardly but this is the same truth that paul hit us with nobody's a jew who is simply one outwardly they say they're jews but they are not Not really, but lie. Now notice this, Philadelphia is made up of Gentiles by and large. Well, there may have been some saved Jews in there, but by and large, Philadelphia was made up of Gentile believers. Listen, Jesus says to these saved Gentiles, Behold, and you need to behold this. I am going to make them, who's the them? Ethnic Jews who do not trust Jesus Christ. I'm going to make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Why do they have to learn that? Because they pompously think they are the people of God, right? That's, that's the Israelite mindset, we're the people of God. We have the law of God. We have the prophets. But notice this. They're going to come and bow down before your feet. You say, okay, well yeah, that's, that's, um, that's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, it gets more amazing. Do you know where that idea comes from? It comes from Isaiah. Again, I want you to be able to read Isaiah and get it right. Now, notice this. Go back quickly. I just want you to look at these couple of texts before we finish. Bear with me right here. This is worth worth staying with. Isaiah 49. It's where I want to read the first Text from. Isaiah forty-nine, verse twenty-two. You see, this, this this that our Lord says to these Philadelphian Christians did not just come from nowhere. I mean, he doesn't say it just for the first time. He doesn't, this is not something original. This idea is something that he is repeating from what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 49 thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations. Now get this, the nations are the Gentiles. I'm going to lift up my hand to the nations, the Gentiles, and raise My signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. Notice this. The Gentile nations. He's speaking to Israel. He says, with their faces to the ground, They shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame." In Isaiah, it is the Gentiles bowing down and licking the dust before the feet of Israel. Notice again Isaiah 60. Verse 10, Foreigners shall build up your walls. Now I know that both of these are allusions to true Israelites being brought in and harvested out of the nations. Notice this in Isaiah 60.10, "...Foreigners shall build up your walls..." Again, God speaking to Israel. "...their kings shall minister to you, for in My wrath I struck you, but in My favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually day and night, they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish, Those nations, the Gentiles, shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you. The cypress, the plain, the pine, to beautify the place of My sanctuary. And I will make the place of My feet glorious. Now notice verse 14. The sons of those who afflicted you. He's talking about the nations here. Shall come bending low to you And all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel." He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to Zion. And He says, those nations out there that afflicted you, they're going to come and they're going to bow down. Do you see the reversal? Here in Isaiah. The Gentiles lick the dust of the feet of the Jew. What Jesus does is He comes along to Gentile believers at Philadelphia, and He says, you guys are the Zion, you're the Israel. And these guys over here who claim to be Jews, they're the ones licking the dust of your feet. You see, if you read, do you see what this does? It makes the Old Testament yours. Every place you find Zion, every place you find Israel, every place you find promises to Jews, every place you find offspring of Abraham, every place you find Jerusalem, it's you. It's yours. It's your promise. Believing Gentiles are as Jewish in the only way that matters to God as any of the physical descendants of Abraham who truly believe. We are the circumcision. Christ is the true Israel. And as the true Israel, I become identified with Him by faith in Him. I'm connected with Him, the true Jew, and thus I share that identity With him. Brethren, the people of God are the new Jerusalem. We are the city of God. We are the people to whom all the promises have been made. We don't replace Israel, we simply are a continuation of the lineage of God's true people and the mystery of Christ is that you and I are not outcasts, but we are fellow heirs. We are grafted in. It's not that we replace, the church doesn't replace Israel. We get grafted in, and it makes all the promises in Christ ours. Brethren, I hope that you see that. every promise a Jew can say, a believing Jew can say, there's, that's mine. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile. We're all one in Christ, we have the same promises. You say, but wait a second. The thing that the dispensationalists always want to argue about is the land, and we clearly saw it was promised in there, and that land is a possession forever. Are you telling us we get that? Of course we do. Brethren, have you ever, have you ever considered the, like the prototype Jew, the father, was Abraham? Abraham never owned any of it. He never owned any of Canaan. God told him. Not now. It's going to happen 400 years. Was Abraham walking around? Does, does Hebrews 11 tell us that Abraham was walking around pining for the day when he would finally get his inheritance in physical Canaan? That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says he was looking for a city, he wasn't waiting for the day when he was going to get land over there. And you know what? You know, when you go to the New Testament, you look in Romans chapter 4, isn't he? It's not a plot of land. He's heir of the world. We're talking new heavens and new earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. Is there a land promise? Oh, you better believe there is a land promise. But we are talking we're talking something far greater than the dispensationalists ever imagined. He's heir of the world. He. Oh, he was looking. He was looking for a better country, folks, but it wasn't earthly. It was a heavenly one. That's what we're told. A heavenly one. It's all ours in Christ. Oh, I know we've gone long. Thank you for bearing with me. Well we're going to be dismissed now after I pray, and just remember, don't leave anything where you're at. Because everything is going to disappear real fast. Father, I pray that my brethren would live in the full hope and expectancy of every promise, every single promise in the Scriptures that is yes and amen, ours in Christ. What. Oh. We think about what our brother said. What have you done? What have you done, Lord? Such wretches as us. To take us and make us your people. To give us all the glories and promises that are ours in Jesus Christ. What have you done? What glorious sort of salvation is this? To see that those... who confess to be Jews and are not. Even see a picture of them falling down at the feet. Oh, who were those believers in Philadelphia? Poor, unknown, despised by the world. No famous names. Just the off scouring of this world. And yet, people of whom the world is not worthy. Oh, we long to meet them in worship before our King. We thank you for such a salvation as this. We thank you for that true Jew himself who came here and without spot, without blemish, kept the precepts of the law in our place that we might have the righteousness of God, bore our sin. Thank you, thank you. In Christ's name we thank you. Amen.